0: This is a relay project.
1: Seriously? 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 Seriously, Seriously starts now. Here's Sapriya and Ryan.
0: Yo, yo, yo. It's Wednesday, November 16th, and you're listening to Seriously with Supriya and Ryan. I am Supriya DeVetti in Toronto.
2: Ryan Jesperson here in Edmonton. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, um, I'm okay. Uh, my kid has been sick now for a week. Um, I caught something in between, but I'm like, I would say I'm very much on the mend. Um mm-hmm. My daughter is not. Uh, she was basically up last night every hour coughing. Um, and she coughs so hard that she ends up throwing up. Oh. Um, so there's just a lot of laundry going on at my house. Oh, <laughs> um,
2: this is the story that people are telling across the country, not to diminish your experience, but this is the story right now. These these respiratory well, I mean, take your pick, I guess. But these respiratory illnesses uh, that I, I don't know what it's like in your neck of the woods um, where we are. School attendance is way down due to illness. And then, of course, children's hospitals are starting to wave red flags across the country.
0: Yeah. So attendance is also way down um, on this side of the country. And to your point about um, children's hospitals, like not not only are they waving all sorts of alarm bells, flags, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it, we need to be honest about what the pediatric uh, healthcare situation is right now. And it's in crisis, like overcapacity. Um, We're talking about, you know, children's hospitals opening up second ICUs um, for uh, because of the fact of, of demand and uh, you know, parents are at their wit's end. This is, of course, in addition to like the pain and fever med shortage for kids and the uh, antibiotic shortage for kids. Um, I saw a headline this morning that apparently the uh, drug shortage isn't also just limited to like kids stuff or the antibiotics that it's um, it's been it's spreading to other critical uh, care drugs as well. So just like not good across the board um we'll get into that a little bit more detail like i know we have a lot of uh stuff to get out the gate um so yeah i mean i don't know how are you, how are you and your family doing i mean you have you've got a, a really little guy yeah
2: we do we've we've kind of dodged the bullet to this point i feel like you want to knock on wood because you know you, you you're out and about all the time whether it's the grocery yeah. store or or you know our, our seven-year-old he's in grade two still going to school at this point and and everybody's just trying to make the right decisions, and I just feel like everybody's exhausted. Mm-hmm. And so uh, maybe, maybe this week's episode of Seriously will, will be where our, our national audience can all gather together and commiserate, Sabria. But we'll have insights coming up in just a little bit on mask mandates and what political leaders are are saying across the country. Can, can we talk about the elephant in the room? Just just south of us, the the announcement, the one that everybody was anticipating. Uh, the Donald Trump will indeed seek the presidency again in 2024. Joe Biden says uh, he thinks he's going to as well, but he's going to take some time and and think on it. We we could have a redux of the last time, and I think a lot of people, probably millions or tens of millions of people, uh, this morning eating their breakfast with their hearts in their throats. What do you think <laughs> about Trump's official announcement Tuesday night?
0: I. Uh- I thought it was interesting the way it was covered, Um, the tone in which uh, his announcement was largely covered by uh, the American media. Anyway, was very different. Um, A lot less oomph, a lot less excitement, um, uh, focusing on the fact that apparently there were people that wanted to leave the room early um, and security uh, wouldn't let them at the venue. Uh, A lot of focus as well on the fact that Ivanka was not there. Um, And then she later put out a statement saying that, you know, she's going to focus on her young family um, right now. So um, that's interesting to me. I think people tend to underestimate Trump at their peril. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I think he still has a ton of appeal. He still he still has like a a huge. um, Oh, I think he could
2: still be. I think he could be president. I'm not underestimating him. Are you?
0: No, no, I'm not either. But yeah. I think it's a, like, I don't know, like the National Review put out a, an article yesterday that was just like, no. And it's like, OK, I mean, you said that the first time around. Like, yep. let's see what you say as he is polling numbers improve or he's got some momentum going. Um, but I think because of uh, the I don't know what you however you want to qualify last week's midterms as being a repudiation mm. um, of Trump. I've seen a lot of people kind of describe the midterms that way. Then I, I, I don't know. I think it's a mistake to be like, well. We're in the clear now, right? Yeah. Like, it's never that way. It's never yeah. that easy.
2: <laughs> no, it's not. So there's there's two things that that stop a Trump return to the White House. One of them could be, uh, you know, the, the Democrats. I mean, the Biden administration performs well over the next couple of years or at least the next year. And people see evidence that they believe that the party's on the right track. And either he can convince Americans. Uh, we talked about his age and whether or not that's a factor uh, just a couple of episodes ago. He can convince the American people that he is still the right choice or he he concedes to a certain degree, and, and, and the Democrats nominate somebody that's younger, potentially, and, and compelling, and, and equally as, as capable. And on the Republican side, I, I guess, who? Ron DeSantis? I'm not saying that that's an improvement. I'm not saying that that's better for the American people or for the world around us. People can uh, take the next months or years to hash that out, but uh, I would suggest that he's probably the other perceived frontrunner on the Republican side, right?
0: Yeah, I think Mike Pence also made interesting comments to Hannity um, either late last week or early this week. He's doing his like book tour thing and, you know, all but confirmed that he's uh, got the presidency on his mind. So we'll be interesting to see how he is received. Of course, like hardcore MAGA folks kind of hate him and we're looking to hang him, quite frankly, on January 6th. Right. Yeah. So. Um, will be interesting to see uh, the kind of like love or press um, that he gets off of it. But, you know, the last time the Republicans did this um, in 2016 or 2015, you know, in the lead up to 2016, there were a lot of folks on that stage. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if there if this is more of like an open sort of contest. And you got a lot of people um, up there vying uh, against Trump um, for this. So yeah. maybe Elon uh, Musk. Oh. Hey, what do you think? He can't, he's, he, can't, he can't run. He wasn't born in the States.
2: Oh yeah, that's right. Fair enough. So
0: there you go. There yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> well,
2: although people I see I see Ted Cruz's name still popping up on lists. He wasn't born in the States. I don't quite understand that. I don't really you know. get what's going on in that one. There must be some technicality there.
0: He's like uh, our worst export. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, so there's that, and then there is. Can, can, should we talk about Twitter for a second? I mean, it's it's something that's relevant to people. Forty four billion dollars, and, and, and a few weeks into his tenure as Twitter's owner, and Elon Musk uh, appears to be, um, you know, for for a successful billionaire, really uh, operating with no clue about how the business actually works. Uh, firing uh thousands of employees uh including some who've who've been critical of him on social media i don't know what they were expecting quite frankly but uh it's it's a bit of a mess and and as i saw somebody uh suggest on twitter somebody that i followed just the other day they sign in every morning now just to see if it's all still there
0: yeah it's uh it's been quite the wild ride i guess watching uh Elon Musk sort of implode Twitter slowly yet yet surely. Um, the interesting thing about what's been happening that I find really sticks out to me is the fact that Twitter is pretty much in violation of this new e- a European Union digital regime, right? Um, you have the GDPR, which is basically their overhaul on, on privacy and data. And you've got the Digital Services Act, which mandate all of these things that must be done, including having basic protections for things like your data. And Twitter is not doing that right now. And they're very clearly in breach of this. So we'll be interesting to see uh, the EU flex its muscle here and see how Twitter reacts. Um, And, you know, Elon tends to operate right now as though it's he's within the confines of America only. But that's not what Twitter is. It's a global right uh, business and they have to follow other laws and yeah. he's not. So
2: the global town square, as they call it, I, I, I saw somebody imply in, in, a, in a reply to one of his comments or one of his tweets that, you know, this this thing was going to burn to the ground. It was going to no longer be here. And I saw that Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, replied from, from his account at Jack uh, he just said, "What did he say? It's it's never going away, or it'll always be here, or something but like how? that."
0: How, like, how will it always be here? Like, nah, I don't, I don't know. I Maybe
2: Musk runs it into the ground, and then Dorsey buys it back for pennies on the dollar, and and restores it to its former glory. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Can you lose like with the the way that it has ingrained itself into people's lives and into the way that people communicate? I mean, there is there is a a fabulous irony, isn't there, that we are watching. Twitter meltdown on, on Twitter, Twitter that Twitter yeah. is doing its job Twitter is <sighs> Twitter is demonstrating exactly when there when there were these horrific building collapses you know these manufacturing buildings in, in Bangladesh or when there was flooding in in, in Japan or Pakistan or when there were uh, disasters those enormous tower fires in England or whatever the case may be
0: Yeah I mean maybe but I think what r- really gets me about Twitter is the fact that um it is a platform that you know everything you said is true and the way that it allows for conversations it allows for live coverage of these like mass events that are that are happening around the globe and if you're in a country that you know doesn't have, you only let's say have access to like 2G, like a 2G network, Twitter still works on that, right? Because it's not it's text based, and you're just getting news, and it's like so. Twitter's implosion really does impact um, the rest of the world, right, outside of our own sphere, um, quite drastically, um, and quite you know. And the implosion of Twitter is going to be. Uh, quite the loss for a lot of countries and how they gather news. And if you're in a more authoritarian country, right, um, that's how you're able to dissent. And mm-hmm. it's bad that Twitter is uh, is, you know, on the path that it is right now. Yeah, I think
2: what's happening in Iran right now and, and the role that social media has played in getting some of those videos out and some of those messages out, it's it's been completely remarkable. Uh, let me ask you real quick. What do you think is the proper play from the international community following uh, this this Russian this what is this an accidental are we taking Putin at his word on this one Supriya an accidental uh, missile strike in Poland killing two people
0: yeah so I mean the latest news that I would have seen on this um, is the fact that a Poland as well as um, a few other uh, countries are now you know saying that it's increasingly likely that it was Ukrainian air defense um, is what brought that Russian missile down. Um, that led to uh, two people in, in Poland being killed. So, I think cooler heads are currently, you know, prevailing right now. But I mean, you know, the the bottom line here is that if not for Putin's illegal war. Um, those two people in Poland would still be alive. I mean, not to mention countless Ukrainians, right? Um, but it, it's it's it, it's. Yesterday, as the news was developing, there was a lot of talk. Um, I mean, World War Three was trending, right, on mm. on Twitter, and there was a lot of talk about what the NATO response would be. Poland, of course, being a NATO country, and how um, NATO would react. And um, it's unclear at, at this point. I think what exactly the the next steps are, but. It, I'm at least comforted by the fact that there isn't immediate talks of, um, you know, escalation.
2: Yeah, that that seemed to be the theme. Uh, around the world, quite frankly. Here's a headline that, that people may have missed. There's a lot going on right now, but TD Economics uh, recently releasing a report about the job vacancy gap in Canada. Uh, the gist of it, basically, is that we're still seeing huge numbers of job vacancies across the country, and, and of course, uh, Sapria for that, uh, I mean, for people, for the average person on the ground, what it means is upward wage pressure, right? Great news uh, for some i'll tell you who it's not great for though that's employers especially nonprofits and associations
0: yeah suboptimal at best and definitely not really all that great and because you know when employers need to pay more to attract and retain that talent they need to be able to offset that cost somehow and i don't know ryan would you believe me if i told you that one way to offset that cost is actually through a training program makes sense that's where Yeah, it does. Yeah. And that's where we know training comes in because they can help you create amazing courses and monetize them to become a high performing revenue stream. In one case, they helped an association gain an extra $3 million in revenue growth while completely transforming their training program.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a really big deal, right? Plus, they're not just an LMS or an e-commerce platform they can do everything from instructional design to course distribution learner support so everything is handled for you and they really invest in their partner's success let we know training partner with you to create a training program that's impactful within your industry powerful and profitable you can learn more today at WeNotraining.ca.
1: the lead Principal tool at 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 hand, if we had to go there, would be a mask mandate. Um, Clearly. For for social gatherings, I'm asking today that we be very careful around our children, four and under. A cold or a minor respiratory symptom, a sinus infection, to you, uh, could be RSV or influenza to our our younger members of our community, and cause significant respiratory distress in them. Uh, So, so that's the key message. Uh, It's hard to mandate those social environments. That's my job today is to educate Ontarians that this is a change. This isn't COVID that's affecting our children, although it obviously. Obviously can. It's RSV and influenza combined that are driving our children to have to be admitted to hospitals. Uh, And we do have the tools at our disposal that can help protect our children and help protect our families.
0: So Ryan, that was uh, Dr. Kieran Moore, um, the Chief Medical Officer of Health here for Ontario, uh, making his announcement on masks, which was a strong recommendation to wear masks um, during this current Pediatric healthcare crisis, and I mean, I don't even know where to start here. Because, like, I like I started the show detailing my pretty shitty, no good week, um, mm. and I think I mentioned to you off air. But I feel kind of dumb even complaining about anything, given what other parents and other families are are going through right now um dealing with the hospital system at least in ontario right now uh for kids is a fucking nightmare Mm. and there's no other way to put that it is a legit nightmare you've got sick kids um, reducing surgeries in toronto to preserve icu capacity you've got chio um opening up that second icu you've got um you know, all sorts of other uh, children's hospitals operating over capacity. We're talking 120, 140 um, percent in Hamilton. They've run out of cribs um, and like other key uh, instruments that they need to treat like the youngest uh, of our kids. And it's just it's it, I, I like I'm not really sure how we got here. I don't think it really necessarily um you know, matters. What's important is that we are here and that we do something about it. And I don't know that we are other than just being like, oh it's bad.
2: is this I don't think this is an abstract question do do you think it it helps the cause to point out that that these illnesses aren't all covid like do you do you think that if do you think that if the messaging to members of the public was simply that this is this is some cases of COVID, influenza, these respiratory infections. It's a whole bunch of things that's that's straining the system. And we know that masks help protect against transmission in all of these cases or in many of these cases. Do you think it might help? Do you think that the pushback on masks is, is related to the the word COVID. It's like a trigger that when, when people feel exhausted or frustrated or fed up after coming up on three years, that, that, that they, they lack a certain impetus to, to participate or to do their part. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if yeah, you, I do if know you what you're saying. If you pull the word yeah, yeah. COVID out of it, does it help the cause?
0: I mean... Maybe. So you're right. And I think that is it is important to point out that right now, um, kids that are filling up hospitals, you know, it's not because of COVID. It is because of influenza A and it is because of RSV largely. And so uh, I think more information is always better. Just I generally tend to err on that side of, of things. But if you're if you're looking at polling data uh, when it comes to like the willingness to put a mask on or, you know, what, especially in a mandatory setting. I mean, Nanos was in the field a couple of weeks ago, and it is important to note that it was in relation to COVID. It wasn't in relation to flu or, or RSV and a majority support a return of mandatory face masks if they were asked to and if it was warranted, like if it was necessary. Um, And it's across the board. In BC, they had the highest support at like 72%. Um, It was followed by 71% in Ontario, 71% at the Atlantic, uh, and 62.9% in the prairies, right? So we're not talking um, this huge swath of people being like, fuck masks, so I don't want to wear them. I think most people... Uh, are good people and will do as they are requested um, or told to do by by their you know government's public health agency whatever. I think part of the problem is that people aren't being given um, adequate or accurate information um, and you know, it's all well and good for you and I to be talking about this and for Dr. Moore to have his pressers and for whatever. But if you're not implementing a mandate, you're sending a signal to the public at large that it's not really that big of a problem and it's not really that big of a deal. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's like I get the frustration with masks. I do. I don't necessarily even. Like I'm not I, I don't have like modeling data to fall back on because we don't do that anymore in Ontario um, to, to suggest that if we were to implement a blunt tool like masks, then, you know, in three, four weeks, whatever that time may be, we'd start to see a decrease in, in some of these uh, pediatric cases. But are we really willing to do nothing as, you know, parents are like parents with, with, with kids that have like bleeding lacerations are literally being turned away from the ER because they're like, well, there's nothing we can do for you. And like, we have a kid that is, uh, you know, needs resuscitation or needs a ventilator or is in much more dire care. Like I just, you know, I threw, I kind of threw out my back because my daughter was, she was on my bed and it started snowing here and she ran to to the window and lost her footing. And I sort of like dove to make sure that she wouldn't fall off the bed because In my head, I was like, well, if she falls off the bed and needs to go to the ER, we're really fucked. Mm. Um, So I might as well just contort my body together. And like, I know any parent would do that, but it's just like, these are the things that are going through people's heads, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's. Just not
1: normal. Here's more on what Dr. Moore had to say. I honestly think a mass mandate would be the furthest we'd have to go. Uh, Ontarians have been brilliant at, to adhering uh, to uh, all of the recommendations over the last thousand days uh, of the pandemic. Uh, this is new, and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak uh, directly to Ontarians uh, through you uh, to communicate that increasing risk, that increasing um, uh pressure on our healthcare system uh, and it's important to know it's it's not across all age groups. It is the youngest that cannot mask or would obviously have difficulty in masking and we need to protect them.
0: So you heard Dr. Moore there basically was in response to a question um, of like, you know, when they'd implement a mask mandate and he says like it's you know, it's the furthest that they would go is implementing one. Okay, well like when the fuck are we going to do that? We're already canceling surgeries. We're already at overcapacity. We're turning away kids um, at the ER parents are at their wits end like I I think we deserve to know some metrics like what are the benchmarks in which these decisions are being made um, because we're not getting any of that right now how much and- how much of
2: this falls on parents though how much of this falls on members of the general public like one of the the, the tone that Alberta's premier Daniel Smith is taking as well I mean to, to to paraphrase is basically like if you want to wear a mask wear a mask if you think that we should be wearing masks then everyone should wear masks. She made a, a promise in campaigning to be leader of the United Conservatives to, to be Alberta's next premier, yeah. um, that she would not like she she and, and politicians can can waffle all the time and waver all the time. but she said she would not reintroduce a mask mandate in schools, no matter what. she, she was strong on that and, and right now, despite the numbers and you know, children's hospitals and absences in schools she's she's standing firm with that. But what stops members of the public? from putting on a mask. I'm not trying to be devil's advocate here. Like if they just lifted speed limits everywhere, do you think everyone would go 150 on every street or would people still drive safely? Like I, I, I'm not calling for lawlessness. I'm not calling for the <laughs> onus to always be on citizens, but there's nothing stopping people from masking up on mass, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, no, there is nothing stopping people. But if you don't think your mask wearing is imperative, why would you do it? right? Like, mm. I think that's more where where people's reasoning lies is like, yeah, all right, I'll wear a mask. But do I need to? No? Great. Then I'm not going to fucking wear one, right? Like, yeah. I think that's just how m- most people t- tend to operate. And, you know, to your point, like, it, does this fall on parents? Do parents even know how fucked the situation is? If you're not plugged into the news every day, right? I get that parents are likely aware of like school absences or whatever, but are parents being told by their primary care providers, for example, if they have very young children and they have um, an older child that is in the school system, um, that the child should be wearing a mask while they're in school? Um, Are primary care providers informing parents that in the lead up to RSV and, and flu season that... You know, um, babies should maybe uh, be kept away from larger crowds or larger family gatherings or or larger, you know, events because of the way that these viruses are are impacting kids and because of the, you know, the high levels of circulation right now. Like, I don't know if parents are getting that information. Um, I I can say anecdotally with my within my own circle of friends um, who have young, very young children, like younger than one years old they're not getting that information. Um, and you know, they piece it together via like mom groups on Facebook or a lot of my friends are, you know, healthcare workers themselves. So they're aware of the situation, but I mean, people can only do what can only work with what they know. And if you're not, if you're keeping people on the, in the dark on purpose, then like, you know, we're kind of all screwed.
2: Okay. So let me ask you this in closing. Um, and, and this is like a four part question. This is for the most part, a comment
0: than a question.
2: (laughs) It's like the biggest nightmare when you're a, when you're live hosting an event and you go to the audience Q and a, someone steps up and sort of adjusts their posture and clears their throat. You go, Oh boy, they've been waiting for this one for a while. Um, you know, this is, is largely falls in the lap of provincial governments, obviously based on administration of health and education. But, of course, uh, federal and municipal politics to a certain degree come into play, depending on where you are. Do you think the official opposition messaging, the conservative messaging on ending all mandates, do you think that's influencing people's decisions? And on the flip side, I'm curious to know if, if, if the mask mandate ship has sailed so to speak. What about campaigns? You and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago right here on Seriously. What about campaigns to, to get people uh, to be more interested or to actually take action on, on vaccinating kids for, for both COVID or, or getting their flu shot?
0: Yeah. So to answer the first part of your question, whether the conservative messaging at the federal level has impacted people's perception of of masks and mandates more generally, I would say yes. But the conservatives didn't just get there on their own. Um, You know, I they had a lot of help uh, from provincial conservatives as well on this front. And, you know, it's not just a conservative issue either. Like if you look at British Columbia, for example, I mean, NDP government. Um, They are basically saying, wow, the situation isn't as shitty here as it is in Ontario yet, so we're not going to do anything and no mask mandate right now. And, you know, I feel like provincial premiers have sort of mismanaged the pandemic, irrespective of partisan stripe, like the whole way through. Um, And I think we're all and by all, I mean, like all of our leaders are basically beholden to a vociferous minority of fuck faces who were, you know, protesting outside hospitals and held Ottawa hostage, were holding border crossings hostage over these uh, mandates and ending any and all mandates and now we're in a situation where because of being holden, being beholden to that minority kids are literally suffering and some will die as a result.
2: Sapria, calling it how it is every Wednesday right here on seriously. You can share this episode. If you're listening to it on your phone, just click share. It's that easy. It means the world to us when you subscribe. And, of course, when you rate our podcast, wherever you download it. And, of course, Supriya, folks, can find us on YouTube as well.
0: Yeah, you can catch us on Instagram at Pod, on Twitter at Sapria and Ryan. Um, our website, SeriouslyPod.com. We always love your emails as well. Talk. At SeriouslyPod.com
2: My friend, next week we are going off the grid. So I'll talk <laughs> to you two Wednesdays from now right here.
0: Looking forward to it. Seriously is hosted by Supriya
1: Duvetti and Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lawrence Erlego general manager katie cook shivers human resources lena shepherd voiceover by me Tanji. seriously is a relay project for more check out seriouslypod.com